0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Political Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm Evan. Hey, and today on the episode, uh, well, actually, you know what, Evan, you you quarterback this one. Do you want to you want to uh, introduce the uh, the episode and uh, tell everybody what we talk about?
1: Sure. Uh, we tonight on the episode we've got the man himself, uh, Snyder, John Hoffman, Weekend Nachos, Spine, Saw Blade. Uh, Harm's Way, Few in the Proud, Ledge, Stomach. um, Just one of my biggest hardcore power violence idols. Um, uh, You know, it was a real honor and a privilege and a pleasure to talk to him. And uh, even had he not been this person that I hold in such esteem, uh, it turned out to be a really amazing conversation. Um, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, let's see, we talked about a little bit about stomach weekend nachos. Then we got into what does it mean to be provocative and hardcore in today's landscape where, you know, hardcore teams seems to generally subscribe to a certain series of tenets and how do we be provocative or controversial while sticking to that status quo. Um and
0: man what else do we get into um, yeah i sorry I, while i while i'm thinking of it fresh uh, one thing for for listeners when i told when i told some friends hey i'm gonna, gonna have gonna have john caution on the on the podcast a lot of people a lot of people uh they, they didn't say oh cool oh i can't wait they immediately were like what about scab and i just kind of rolled my eyes Uh, but luckily, uh, we, we get that, we get that addressed. Um, and I think that he gives a fantastic, uh, explanation and elaboration on, um, that song and the time and place for when it came out all in line with, wait, Hey, what does it mean to be in a hardcore band that's actually provocative and what does it, what does that even look like? So, um, for those of you who do listen, I know that that was already, something that was on your mind and lucky for you it's in there so
1: <laughs> yeah and we even uh by episode three of our podcast broke our one and only rule which has we been did. unspoken to anybody except us so that you'll have to just listen to figure out what it is
0: absolutely but so, hey we sincerely hope you all uh enjoy this episode uh, we're hoping to have john on uh at least one more time so Um. let us know what you think get at us at the political pod see y'all later (laughs) what's going on evan hey took me a while to find the right mic um selection no worries hey you know that's Let's half the battle in this in, in this podcast game, where I think uh, think John uh, will be on any second now. Um, but in the in the meantime, uh, hey everyone, welcome to Politicor. I'm Dylan. I'm Evan. And uh, today we have a special episode. Evan, do you want to uh, you want to talk about the uh, the episode while we wait for our uh, our guest to hop on? Sure.
1: I um, you know in terms of our first guest this one uh feels like we're kind of jumping right into the deep end with what i would consider a legend um a real role model personally um a heavy hitter i guess so um john hoffman from weekend nachos ledge stomach uh, saw blade Briefly in the spine, harm's way, a few in the proud, um, agreed to jump on our fledgling podcast, uh, which is uh, an honor and frankly kind of uh, intimidating because this is somebody I've been listening to since I was a teenager. So uh, it'll be really an awesome opportunity to pick his brain about uh, his, his life in hardcore.
0: Yeah. I- the same way i was kind of like uh kind of in, in mulling it over in my head these past couple days i was like well i kind of don't really know what to talk about so hopefully evan has a has a, a good good uh, game plan here
1: um he's just got such a such a breadth of knowledge and a depth of knowledge about the history of hardcore um and also just his own experience uh in bands which has been majorly influential for modern hardcore. Um, not to mention, he's got his own podcast right now um, called Hard Stance with Antonio from Spine. Uh, so I've been catching up on on their podcast while prepping for this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, truly the only podcast uh, or the only hardcore podcast where I feel like I've I've actually heard anybody like honestly say that like. Most of those early youth crew records are extremely cheesy. <laughs> um, feels which is which is crazy because I feel like a lot of people would, would agree with that, but on mm. the surface, some sometimes stuff like that feels uh really taboo. So,
1: yeah, you know, there's certain uh, not to use any sort of off color terminology or anything, but there are certain sacred cows in the hardcore community that um, some people have the kind of bravery to speak truth about, um, given given the amount of time we've had since those releases came out.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. I guess kind of with that with that with that out of the way. Uh, looks like we've got uh, our our uh, beloved guest is, is officially on. Uh, John, you want to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah. Hello. What's going on, guys? Um, I'm John Hoffman. Is my last name. <laughs> um i've uh done some some things that some people might have heard of maybe I, I would i would hope that some would otherwise it would be kind of pointless for me to be on here but um <laughs> i mean you want like uh a, like a, a kind of like a, a history of like things that I, i'm maybe known for or-
1: sure i tried to do a breakdown but you'd probably do a uh better job than i have so
2: yeah, I mean, like if anybody knows who I am, it's, it's because of Weekend Nachos. I, I was the vocalist for Weekend Nachos. That's like the, the thing that I did that probably got the most attention. Um, but I've been, I've been playing in bands for a really long time, um, been involved in hardcore, I guess not not quite as much uh, in the past few years. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's been decades now. So um, I'm sure we can get into it. Played in Spine with uh, my Kansas City friends for quite a bit um harm's way for a minute and then just like countless other projects i'm, I'm currently doing a band called stomach uh and that's like my main thing uh, but i'm sure we can we can get into some of that for yeah sure. hell
1: yeah absolutely well if it, would you like to start by talking about stomach uh that was actually um i feel like we'll, we'll get into weekend nachos but stomach's been on the top of my mind and um and is is something that anybody who's managed to uh, miss really owes it to themselves to give a thorough listen.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, stomach is like a—it's basically like a doom sludge type of thing. Um, lots of like noise and power violence influence thrown in there. Um, it's the first band that I've ever done that doesn't have some type of hardcore influence. I would say. Um, I mean, I always write music like through the the eyes of like a punk, I would say. But this is the first time where I don't think you can really hear it in the music so much, except for when I when I kind of play fast here and there. Um, but for the most part, I would classify it as like a, a full on like doom band, um, more so than like Weekend Nachos was, more so than Ledge was. Um, so this kind of like is a bit more true to the genre, I would say. Um, it's pretty recent. I've, I've been working on songs for some time, but I I just released the first demo back in January. So just a few months ago on practice hatred records, um, and, uh, dry cough records in the UK just did a a UK run of the tape as well. Um, and, uh, other than that, I I currently do not have a label. I'm working on an album. So yeah, I, I don't anticipate there'll be very much touring with this project, but, uh, it's, uh, it's my, my latest thing. I'm, 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 really excited about it.
1: And it's, it's really brilliant. Um, musically, uh, you know, it really sounds like this is, uh, doom, um, a little bit of drone, um, written by people who've been playing it for their entire musical career. What would you say was the, to to I feel like I might know the answer to this but what would you say was the kind of transition point from music you were playing to to stomach
2: that's a good question i would say that like you know we can nachos was like very doom influenced like if there was ever like a power of violence band that just had like almost equally as much like doom shit it was it was us i would say um cuz you know like even back from like the demo like we had like you know, I hate God influence, electric wizard influence, like even from the start. And that was because, um, you know, the four of our heads together, like we, we just listened to a lot of like heavy music and wasn't just fast. Um, so I've always, you know, ever since weekend nachos, I can't really say I really played much of that prior to that. So like, you know, pre 2004, I wouldn't say that I had ever been in really been in a band that, that, sounded like that but ever since weekend nachos i was starting to kind of like use that doom influence and write slow parts and heavy heavy parts that were very down tune um so yeah i mean as far as like the transition i would say like i really wanted ledge ledge was a project that i did right after weekend nachos and i really wanted ledge to be like more doom influence but there was still like a very obvious like hardcore influence with that i would say like I, I would say like it almost sounded like blood for blood playing like or trying to play <laughs> trying to play <laughs> uh, like that's kind of what that sounded like And and i feel like one of the great things about stomach is that I, I feel like i finally found like my realized vision that i've been kind of always trying to go for and it's like it's actually happening now and i think sometimes it takes time to do that as a musician
1: Definitely. And then Ledge was what I was thinking was kind of that pivot. Um, but after talking to you a little bit over the last week, listening back to Punish and Destroy, I was starting to hear that Electric Wizard um, influence, which is having listened to that for that album for a rather long time. It was interesting to f- kind of finally hear that influence.
2: Yeah. I, I think that's interesting to hear you say that. Cause I wonder if there's like, anybody that had always just associated weekend nachos with just being like strictly fast like chaotic like just like bullshit you know (laughs) um but like you know hearing this later stuff of mine it's like you can kind of go back and and realize like that stuff was always kind of there um at least starting with nachos for sure Mm -hmm. you can even hear it like there's like a kind of a droney song even on the demo it's like the last song on the demo so it's like yeah we were definitely playing stuff like that it was it was really really fun to to be in a band that had those influences and play that for the first time back when i was like 20 years old
1: well that's one of the coolest things uh lately that i like diving into with bands is spotting their influences that are not necessarily audible to the casual listener, um, or that you might only pick up on if you know a little bit more about the musician themselves. Um, so for instance, I was writing about tourists recently and, um, their album, their most recent EP is called Take Five, which is an allusion to a Dave Brubeck, uh, record. Um, And I asked them if that was an intentional jazz illusion and they said, yeah, we're all jazz fans. You won't hear it in the music, but then I started hearing it in the music. totally. uh, And, uh, that's, that's probably a kind of subtle dash of nutmeg or whatever. That's making their brand of hardcore and power violence slightly different from, um, just setting them apart a little bit.
2: Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's really interesting. It's, uh, there's a lot of really weird strange people in punk (laughs) like you know like people that are like into all types of shit which is awesome i mean nobody shouldn't be into like all kinds of shit but it's like you find out what people are into like immediately came to mind like antonio from spine being into like salsa music and shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's like i mean i don't i think Somebody would be pretty pretentious if they were going to try and claim that they could pick out salsa influences from here just hearing spine, but because I mean, that's just not there. But there goes all my notes for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's always cool to like, it's always cool to know like where someone's coming from because you will automatically start to look for the any evidence of that when you hear it, like from then on, you know.
1: And what's cool with spine is that they've started to wear that on the sleeve a little bit more with the past, exactly. past couple of EPs. Um, and that's kind of an, another thing I was hoping to talk to you about is this, what I see is, um, musicians who have gotten to a point in their, either in their life or in their musical career where they're willing to take these creative risks because particularly in hardcore and power violence, um, there is kind of an arms race for who's the hardest, who's like um, the angriest. And at a certain level, there's not really anywhere to go. Or you've established enough um, clout, I guess, that you allow yourself to take creative new directions, um, perhaps in a really different direction. So I'm thinking about ledge and stomach and I'm thinking about Ian Shelton's military gun. Like once regional justice center hit, it's like no nonsense, undisputable. Everybody knows it's great. Um, peak, um, military gun came out and said, here's something very different that I also love Trevor Trevor. Vaughn from everything, uh, rival (laughs) mob wound man, um, internal, He's got Buku side projects in like every genre you can imagine from like Boom Bap to core. Yeah,
2: dude. Yeah, that guys. From- gonna, I swear like if you go to the like the MA Glory band camp, there's like so much shit on there. You could spend like an entire week just like having fun listening to all of that dude's bands.
1: hundred percent. And you've got Kyle from Sex Prisoner doing Realize, which is this – in you know god flesh ministry um industrial uh, nail bomb revival um and so what do you think it takes for a musician to allow themselves in an industry or a genre that requires kind of i i guess to to get to a certain level you have to have a certain seriousness about your music Uh, totally where you're not going to add much melody and you're not going to add much um, humor necessarily. And then at some point you're able to take these risks.
2: I think it takes a lot of confidence and a lot of experience because when you're first coming into a scene, you know, maybe you're young and like, I think this is true for most people. Like you might, I mean, there's obviously those like game changing bands and it, Sometimes it's people that are young, you know, and it's you're just like, holy shit, who the fuck is this, you know, and it's awesome. But I would say more often than not, it takes some time to develop the confidence to do something that's like really like genre push, like b- pushing those boundaries, you know. So it's like right now, I feel like a lot of people that have been around for a minute are just saying, fuck it, you know, like it, it, they're not doing anything groundbreaking necessarily but it's like when you like kyle for example from sex prisoner it's like that dude i don't think many people know that that dude writes everything for sex prisoner Mm -hmm. you know and like sex prisoner has gotten a pretty awesome following over the last like 10 years or so and it's been amazing to see um but you know they started out like a group of you know dorks like anybody playing crossed out songs you know like i mean I always thought that they like had an, a very interesting blend of like, basically like beat down hardcore and like it almost sounded like Marauder covering Despise You. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: Can I pop in here for like, something for a second?
2: Yeah, uh, of course.
0: With the uh, the 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 Marauder and Despise You uh, comparison, uh, hopefully Kevin and Kyle don't get too mad at me for disclosing their their secret sauce. Uh, <laughs> but when they first started the band, uh, they uh, Kevin disclosed to me years ago that they exclusively uh, tried to uh, mimic the Marauder bass tone in every way possible. I think it was in drop A is what they ended up doing. That's uh, amazing. So like, yeah, like, that's just the most spot on thing. Yeah, it's like Marauder and Despise You. Like, yes, that, and that if that doesn't sum up that band, I, like, truly do not know what else <laughs>
2: does. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, like, I mean, I've known those dudes for a really long time. So it's, like, I, I think... What's funny is that we got Nachos on one of our first tours played with Kevin. I don't know if Kyle was in the band, but I know Kevin Kennedy played drums in it, and they were called like Iraqi Death Machine or something. <laughs>
1: that was probably around <laughs> the same time of Female Snake too. Yeah, Back when we were like, just playing like Scrappies.
2: Yeah, wasn't Kyle in Female Snake? I th- yeah, I think that so. That sounds like a band named Kyle would come up with. <laughs> um, yeah, and Gilbert. I think-
1: Gilbert maybe.
2: Yeah, I want to say they were called Iraqi Death Machine.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Something like that. It was like, I mean, I'm not even kidding. I think Kevin was like 15. Yeah, that sounds right. And they were like the first band that played on a show with like us and like, I think Punch played. And it was Scrappies. I think this was probably like 2007, maybe. Um, 2008. Definitely wasn't after 2008 because like it was the pre-Unforgivable Weekend Nachos lineup. But anyway i'm trying to not get too sidetracked here um you know like those dudes like started out just like anybody you know but seeing them develop this following like and like they really created like uh like an awesome sound like for power runs like they pushed a boundary themselves in my opinion like i remember like sex prisoner got all kinds of flack at first where what you know from power violence purists or whatever saying like oh they're 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 not real power violence you know they they've got all these beat down parts and it's like yeah like whatever you call it you know it's like there is not a, a band more brutal than sex prisoner <laughs> I, I would say like fuck you if you think otherwise like that band uh, the, sex prisoner is one of my favorite bands of the last decade or maybe more like one of my favorite bands. Like I, I absolutely love them. And um, so bottom, like what I'm really getting at is that Kyle writing all that being kind of the mastermind behind that sex prisoner sound, which has become a thing of its own now, um, you know, to see him start to do something that's like a bit slower and more like industrial influenced. It's like, I happen to know that that dude is like a complete psycho, you know, like that's got all kinds of ideas that like realizes a pretty like fucked up sounding band and, you know, so it's sex prisoner, but it's, it's cool that he's like, it basically more comes out of you, the older you get and the more experienced you get. And instead of, you know, the boundaries that you might've started to push when you were younger, you're going to push them all as Mm -hmm. you, get more creative you know like you're not gonna have any more limits at some point it's like kind of a good metaphor for just getting old in general like mm. do you think i fucking give a shit if somebody asked me to name three songs <laughs> <laughs> if i'm wearing like a, a shirt i'd be like i don't even fucking listen to this band go away you know
1: you probably stop telling your you stop gatekeeping yourself at some point and stop yeah. telling yourself no, what is this person going to, you know, I work with middle and high schoolers. So I encounter this attitude on a daily basis of oh, I'm sure. um, kind of constantly asking yourself, how am I going to be perceived if this?
2: Yep. I mean, dude, I remember like when I started skateboarding in sixth grade, I was legitimately nervous. I'm not kidding. Like not just a little nervous, but like I was like changing my shirt like many times before school when I I got this birdhouse shirt, right. The skateboarding company, you know, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, I got this birdhouse shirt, but I'm like, Oh my God, they're all going to call me a poser. They're going to like ask me if I can Ollie two decks or three decks or whatever. And I can't do shit yet. I was legitimately nervous to wear that shirt to school. And I didn't, I didn't wear that shirt to school. I had it, but I didn't wear it for like months and like, that's the kind of stuff that goes through your head when you're like not confident and you're like terrified at what people are going to think, you know, that imposter
1: syndrome.
2: Yeah. That just dissolves with age, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I feel like it's a good metaphor for musicians too, because like, I mean, I don't think I know of a musician that's like in their thirties or forties and still like, you know, afraid, afraid of what people are going to think of their new album. You, you get to a point where it's like, you don't give a shit about that at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Just to piggyback on something you were saying about Sex Prisoner, about them kind of catching flack for not being X enough to be called power violence. Uh, it sounds, I mean, that's not dissimilar to what Weekend Nachos went through.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, all the way up until the end. I would say even
1: right, and I mean, I think that Sex Prisoner is in some ways a descendant of, in many ways a descendant of Weekend Nachos, and I feel like there's a pre-Weekend Nachos power violence and a post-Weekend Nachos power violence. Um, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you're you, if you have an opinion on that, but that's to my ear. There is definitely a a first wave second wave thing happening there um where anything i'm hearing since that era sounds more like you than spaz or um crossed out still sounds pretty relevant and and no comment and i'm still hearing those in bands who are specifically citing them as as um influences Um, but i hear weekend nachos everywhere
2: yeah i think like it's hard as the person that's in the band to like come out and say it, you know? Um, So I I just got to like, think a little bit about like how I would address that. But I would say that we got nachos definitely blended a lot of styles that I don't think had ever been blended before. I mean, I, I know that like with, with zero ego at all, like I can say that nobody put together the, 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 genres that we can nachos did like all at once like nobody did nobody did that before us like nobody sounded like you know carcass youth of today blood for blood and like spaz all at once like nobody had, nobody had done that before um so that's kind of like what we brought to the table i don't think that by combining those influences, it's like i don't really we're just like copying the things that we like you know mm-hmm. so it's, it's not like we invented like a new a new style but by putting together you know all those influences like you just kind of keep things interesting and keep the keep the generations going you know so it's like i do think that we were creative um i think that in some ways like like let's say in 2020 i mean okay put it this way this is a good way to put it in 2022 it's not at all awkward to see a band that sounds like hate breed playing with a band that sounds like crossed out and maybe even having both bands like overlap, you know, mm-hmm. like the hate breed band has some power violence parts. The power violence band has some, you know, metal core parts. Like that's not weird now, you know? Right. And I think that like a band like weekend nachos helped to bridge that gap. That's what I'll say.
0: That's fair. Uh, the thing that came up into my mind, just cause I'm obsessed with, the the popular like you know the the, the winners of, of the genre in the, in the contemporary sense um you know gulch is gulch was i guess i think they finally did their last show uh they do the smoothie approach is what i call it which is what we can nachos <laughs> did as well we put our favorite stuff in a blender and we hope it tastes good when it comes out and uh to see gulch play some of the biggest stages and uh have hardcore kids love every part of it from from the blasts to the slower parts i mean yeah, right uh, to to say yeah, yeah i mean just as a as a somebody removed from weekend nachos it's very clear oh. very clear that that is a direct descendant of it
2: yeah exactly and like i don't know like how much like weekend nachos influence there necessarily is in gulch and I, I don't personally know any of those guys but i do know like i did like follow like what they were doing and it's like gulch was a huge fucking band like i think mm. they sold like thousands of copies of that last record that came out on closed casket like
3: yeah
2: i mean that's like insane i mean i i would i would argue they were like way way more popular than we ever were um but at you know to see a band like get that big and have like blast beats like right there was a time when like there it was impossible for a blast beat to be heard like outside of a basement unless you're talking like you know grindcore like I'm strictly talking about like when it comes to like power violence, like you think of like spaz, you know, like a, a bands that never really got very big, despite having like a massive following and massive influence and being some of the greatest ever. Like you, I don't think that spaz was ever a band that was playing to Gulch's crowd, you know? Mm-hmm. No. So, so I'm not, I'm not saying that they, they weren't a big deal. I mean, spaz is like one of the most important, heavy bands ever I would say Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know there there's definitely a a time when you you have to look at a band like Gulch and be like holy shit like no one could have gotten no gotten this this popular off of this sound like that like 20 years ago you know and I think that's like what makes it cool you know I think that's what makes it cool like to see how hardcore evolves how metal evolves like there's just people become more open-minded and it's just, it's a game changer. You know, like when you look 20 years ahead, you're going to see hopefully things better, you know, it's, it's better to think about things being more open and more like fluid and like, you know, people getting into stuff when they might've been afraid to get into it 10 years earlier, you know?
1: Yeah. And there was such a quickly burning candle, um, you know, a fairly short lived band. And they had this amazing following that um, other bands are managing to kind of ride, not because they're inferior, but just because they're after them to kind of ride in the wake of that band. And um, because people have their eye on the Bay Area now, because of bands like Gulch, a lot of other bands are managing to kind of jump on those coattails and, and make it when they would have probably remained very insular to the scene, had it be a different, been a different time. Totally, um, cause Gulch, I mean, not really not to take anything away from the music, because I think it's really fantastic. Um, and kind of envelope pushing while remaining loyal to its, um, the, those that preceded it. Um, it got kind of memed because of how quickly their merch sold out every time they posted it. And in particular for the, you know, notorious Sanrio hoodie, um, which started yeah. being sold for like 500 or $700 on eBay shortly after it sold out. Um, so it's such a, and and I hope we'll manage to find the time to get into this very specific time of the music industry where a band like Gulch can reach this following and sell out its merch in under a minute um, and then call it quits, you know, and after a couple of years.
2: Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting. Cause I think, I mean, again, I don't want to speak too much about them cause I don't really know them, but I don't think, I mean, you guys might be able to help me out with this, but like the Gulch dudes are not like, I mean, they're not like super old or anything, right? Like they're pretty young.
1: Some of them are like, yeah. I mean, they strike me as not long out of high school. Yeah. Just based on superficial interactions.
2: And I think that, like, I think those, I I would imagine those dudes have a lot that they want to do and what with their lives and want to explore. And like, it would make sense for a band like Gulch to be short lived, Mm
3: -hmm. you
2: know, because like, I mean, I guess another a, a opposite of example of what I'm talking about would be like a band, like full of hell, you mm-hmm. know, who started when they were like 16 years old, something like that and have like sustained this incredible band that has like evolved like insanely, like to a degree that I, I've never seen before mm-hmm. and like managed to like make basically careers out of this, which is like outstanding. Like thinking ab- about your high school band actually like going on to be, the band that you do in your mid 20s or late 20s like that's unbelievable um yeah. but on the other side of it which is great for them you know like and you know full of hell is like we could do an entire episode on that band you know um mm-hmm. uh, but you know like something so a band like gulch on, on the other side of the spectrum it, it makes sense to me that it's like okay we did this band it got huge but it's like we have enough like pride and integrity to like know that we have other shit that we want to do. And like, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect for bands that, you know, end something early without like, you know, falling into the idea like, okay, we have to keep this going because it's popular, you
1: know? Um, Gloss comes to mind. Gloss did that as soon as they got a record deal
2: yeah i uh i don't know i mean i'm just gonna like say that i don't really know like what that was about um Mm -hmm. because it i mean i they said the the statement that they made wasn't that they want to like go off and do other things the statement that they made was that the band had gotten too big to to manage Mm -hmm. i guess and maybe it's because they like wanted to do it themselves and like couldn't couldn't imagine like relying on labels to, to do it for them which i all the all the respect for that move you know but i rem i just remember like their statement to the world of why they were breaking up was like this band has become too popular for us to manage ourselves so um i would just unless there's something i'm missing here i think it's a little different mm-hmm. um but they definitely did they definitely did call it quits when they were right about to like basically blow up i will i will give you that for sure
1: yeah just, I'm, I'm, uh, this is actually something that, uh, Dylan and I were talking a little bit about. And, um, I feel like Weekend Nachos, um, more than just about any band that I can think of outside of like very specific pockets of hardcore and grind, managed to maintain a level of, uh, intensity. Uh, while being simultaneously self-effacing and border like not taking itself too seriously uh, with humor and also being provocative in terms in- of, of its themes and imagery. Um, and I, I kind of wonder now and, nowadays about how a band like that, would manage that chemistry in today's climate and i'm i'm i feel like dylan might be able to express this question better than i could because i'm sort of uh mumbling through it do you want to try and field this one dylan
0: yeah yeah i no, one of the things that uh um, to be frank john one of the reasons why we thought you'd be a good guest when you initially reached out to evan was uh because uh in a lot of your bands, but obviously Weekend Nachos in particular was was good at being again being genuinely provocative in in more ways than one, whether you whether you all printed uh, a funny piece of merch or whether you had uh, you had uh, uh, certain lyrics that people were like, wait, did he just say that? And it seems like (laughs) as hardcore continues to evolve, mutate, whatever word you want to use, we keep drifting towards kind of a monoculture and again i'm sorry to anybody listening who's who's going to get upset but i mean again find me f- find me a band right now that probably doesn't believe all, all, all of the same uh, co- core tenants for for better or for worse um and so that is kind of what me and evan were mulling over is like what what can somebody do without going full gg allen <laughs> that's still, <laughs> that's still like genuinely Genuinely, like wow, like this is like really challenging and like almost feels dangerous while I'm watching it. Whereas right now, I think things are extremely predictable, and I like predictable. Sincerely, I, I, I suffer from severe anxiety, so I love predictability. But uh, yeah, the the level of of uh, I guess like the the danger air quotes uh, it it seems like it's it's kind of lost its its touch, and it doesn't seem like there's really much hardcore can, can do to actually to literally provoke its, its audience.
2: That's a, I love the way you worded all that. And I, I definitely know what you're getting at. Um, Weekend Nachos was like a very controversial band in some ways. And then, you know, in some ways, like Weekend Nachos fit perfectly with, you know, the current climate, which is like very much like, we've had enough of like ignorance you know like we've we we are now full on like banding together and standing up for you know people of color you know women minorities in general like marginalized people that have been shit on for so long and you know sadly will continue to in this society for much longer it's not over you know right um but like we are in a climate right now where that is finally starting to be addressed by by a lot of people that never would have addressed it before Um, myself included. Um, And I think that regarding the danger and hardcore, it really comes down to privilege. And I, we might have to go back and forth a little bit, but what I mean by that is that like, there's a big difference between, you know, somebody that is 21 years old and white and male and straight um, wanting to create like an element of danger in hardcore, then there is somebody that, you know, wants to push boundaries for like a greater purpose, you know? And I think that me speaking just for myself and not the other members of the band, I, that's where I went wrong. um Sometimes with weekend nachos, it's sometimes where I went right, but you can't, Give credit to somebody that wants danger as like a fantasy, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody that doesn't understand how hurtful a certain song might be to, it, you know, a, a large amount of people, right? They can say, like, oh, yeah, I want to piss people off. I want this to be dangerous, right? Yeah. But it becomes extremely selfish and it becomes extremely ignorant it 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 becomes strictly just ignorance at that point if all they want is entertainment you know for themselves like you can sit back and you can eat popcorn and watch people get pissed off about things that you write and sometimes that can lead to like a very challenging environment that you know sparks good discussions but you might just be really hurting a lot of people without realizing the impact that you have because you're you're privileged you know and like I said, I, I kind of like, I, I don't know how vague I'm being, but I'm curious like what your response would be to hearing me say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess the thing that I, I always, this that I think about is, is uh, uh it, it, the like, cause for, for me, our hard- hardcore is, is, is pretty much constantly it's, it's culture, cultural uh reactions, culture war kind of, uh, genre in terms of of its its political power or its ability to to really change anything outside of its own um uh borders is is limited um the thing that that, again that comes comes to mind is 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 not necessarily like yeah again i have no interest in being like you know what we need right now is we we need a band that's just like screwdriver to really shake things up in the (laughs) hardcore scene uh that's Yeah, that 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 isn't what I think about. I I just some the thing that that starts to like just put me in a weird headspace is the is we have just everyone kind of uh, at least claiming to believe all the things you just espoused, right? We we want a better we want a better uh, Mm -hmm. a better environment for people of color, women, minorities, trans folks to uh, be able to like have a good time, express themselves, have fun uh in in these these brief moments that we're not being crushed by uh you know by work or uh, any of the other mechanisms that, that capitalism kind of puts us through but um the the thing that i guess is is always strange to me is, is is sometimes i think that like you know you have certain band that stands for x y and z um and and sometimes i don't even think the band knows what they they stand for as much as they are more concerned about presenting that they are uh, uh, for all these things out of out of blatant fear that they'll be uh, depicted as as a a problematic bunch of bunch of people when in reality they just frankly just don't know they they, again they're not there's nothing inherently problematic with them but they just they just want to make sure they uh, uh, dot their uh, dot their eyes and cross their t's you know
2: (laughs) right I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, however, I think that like the era that we're in now is is a transitional period. Mm. Um, and what I think that is happening now is that you are going to see a lot of bands like, like you said, like, okay, we, we like a young kid that sees like the climate right now is gonna be like, okay, well, I know I can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, to- I know I know that like in order for people to like my band, I need to at least have songs about this right now, right? Um, I'll be honest. I don't necessarily think that quote, like that so-called trend is a bad thing for a little bit. Um, I think that there might be a, uh, there's going to become a time where that gets very stale and people start to question like, Hey, what are we even changing here? If everybody right. believes this now, um, I don't think it's necessarily time for us to get there yet. I think we we need to hit the reset button, and we need a good few years where it's just established that like this is these are the standards that were set. Hmm. Uh, if that makes sense, like it um, I, I like the idea of certain things not being okay now um, anymore, right? Hmm. Um, I like the idea of like a band not being able to just go on stage and you know drop an f bomb and get away with it. You know, I like that. If there's a, if there's like a, a group think going on where nobody's gonna uh, like disagree that that's not okay, then I think we need to kind of sit in that that stagnation for a little bit, just to get back to a place where this is like a healthy place to be. Um, that that's my take on it. I don't know if you if you agree with that or not.
0: I I I actually do by 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 and large I, I again for anybody listening who thinks I'm just like just trying to like just be devil's advocate it's not it's not accurate <laughs> um, uh, yeah I think that it is uh, all all the things by and large are, are good but when we, we talk about we want to get to like you know, be, be in a place where certain things aren't okay I think sometimes uh, one thing is you know a, a lot of people who find this music for in, in one way or another sometimes I don't think always have the, the emotional or sometimes intellectual, like, I mean, training is, is the only word I can think of. That's just because I went to grad school. So I have a bunch of big words in my head, but um, the, to kind of understand certain, certain ideologies and certain practices that they are, are partaking in, um, which can still sometimes create a really unhealthy environment. Like when we kind of do um, some of these, whether whether it's a call in or a call out type of situation, uh, uh, it still creates this like really really uh, tense environment where we've we've literally had bands just cancel themselves just because they're like we just can't do this anymore. We're just gonna like you know, um, right. over things that were you know in, in a gray area. Uh, and so that that is the only thing where I'm just kind of like. Like all all of these things, are, we are moving in a good direction. We are in a in, in a in a in a transition period. You know, we finally hit the uh, generations of kids who are like, I do not give a fuck about Black Flag. Stop telling me to listen to it. And so, <laughs> I I think that uh, everything you said is 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 largely largely correct. I just sometimes I guess worry. Yeah, thirty year old man worries about the state of hardcore. Uh, I just sometimes worry <laughs> uh, um, that. Uh, we will again just push everything into this knee-jerk reactionary uh place where um really really valid criticisms of uh some of the the core tenets of the genre are misconstrued as being oh well that guy's just like a a far-right idiot when in reality you are just asking a a question in in good faith or trying to challenge something in good faith which i uh, think we've eliminated that a little bit
1: I think that one of the things that has been pretty definitive for hardcore for at least as long as I've been involved with it or listening to it is a set of tenets, um, that are broadly, I I would say fairly universal, um, uh, within which there can be, uh, variation and, um, discussion and uh debate um but i mean let's say what happened what would happen if and I'm, I'm probably kind of teeing you up here uh john but what would happen in the black flag uh era uh or hmm, 25 to life or what if <laughs> somebody was like hey go out and hug your local cop
3: right that's a
1: tenet that would that wouldn't have been acceptable at at any genre at any generation of hardcore so if we're establishing a new set of tenets for a new generation of hardcore um, one of the things that makes hardcore hardcore within all the stylistic variations is ethics like a set of ethics that is pretty definitive that is about speaking truth to power that is about looking out for the underdog It's creating a home for people who don't have a home either literally or socially, um, that is, um, challenging status quo at the broad political, um, governmental level, not at the, you know, your, uh, your, you know, scapegoat or kind of black sheep cousin level. Um, it's, it's creating a space for people who have been misfits in the popular culture and the status quo um, culture. So I feel like as soon as we start, I guess, with comedians, they say you don't punch down. So I guess with, com- with hardcore, it's like as soon as you start attacking the people for whom hardcore has become a haven, uh, it's no longer about hardcore.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I... When you, when you mention like black flag, like it also makes me think of like, you know, like MRR versus like agnostic front, you know, in like the, the late eighties, right. Or like, you know, you had like the New York hardcore scene, basically like a lot of like, you know, borderline, like right wing, you know, conservative characters like coming mm-hmm. out and speaking their minds. And then you had like, you know, Tim Johannan and the the San Francisco crew basically saying like, that's not fucking okay. Mm -hmm. you know like this is punk that's not okay and the argument there is like who are you to fucking say what punk is you know Mm -hmm. like, and like i don't know i i i wonder if maybe like i've you know it's like the opposite like i'm i'm kind of like being flung backwards and like getting wrapped up in a lot of stuff now but i mean as a person that is like you know feels genuinely like conflicted about like some of the things that I used to think were okay, you know, and like yeah. someone that has absolutely been influenced by like a lot of the things that are happening right now. I mean, and I'm not 22 years old, you know, I'm almost 40. And like, I've had, I've forced myself to rethink so many things um, including certain things that weekend nachos used to say, you know, and like, it's like, I would agree with Tim Johannan at this point. You know, like, yes, freedom of speech is a thing. But if you believe that, you know, certain ideas are like detrimental to the acceptance of like, you know, minorities or like, you know, people of, of uh, you know, different sexualities feeling comfortable in this place that we're trying to create, right? Like you absolutely should take it upon yourself to say that's fucked up. You know, like what you are saying, like what you are demanding for your freedom of speech is detrimental. And here's why. And I think that if you can, if you can speak to why something is fucked up, I think that you just like anybody should, should challenge what somebody defines as freedom of speech. Um, And I think that that's happening now as it should continue to, but I'll be honest, like I... I am more in line with recognizing the core ethics of like why we believe what we believe and spotting like what challenges that in the wrong ways, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Makes perfect sense.
2: Um, I think that like, yeah, we've, I really think we've hit a point. We've hit a point where it's like, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't care anymore if you think that just because this is like an open-minded environment that you can like bring this shit around and that you're gonna get the same. I mean, of course anybody can say what they wanna say, but you know, it's not gonna if if the general mentality is that we're not standing for this shit anymore, then that's that's gonna become a reality. And it is a reality that I want punk and hardcore to have. Like I I'm, I'll just come right out and say it. I want, I wanted us to get to this point. And there was a time where it's like, when, when you're privileged, you, you're challenging things just to stir things up and have fun. But at what cost, you know?
1: Yeah. I think if, if you're coming from a position of privilege being provocative at the cost of others when it is, it has no real uh, effect on you. Um, Really. I mean, it it feels like, and this is just my point of reference. It's sort of a middle school mentality of like trolling or um, pranking or like, like I'm this, I've, I've been in teaching for a long time and it happens every year. And it's like, I'm going to smear shit on the bathroom because it's funny and then i'm gonna see the custodian go in there and have to deal with it and that's funny too
2: <laughs> that is fucking funny though <laughs> <laughs> um, um yeah
1: so it's like um uh, i'm gonna be provocative at the cost of others sense of safety sense of um inclusivity um at no cost to myself and because, you know, for the for the lulls, um, right. which is why I think that it seems like and there are plenty of counter examples to this, but for a long time, hardcore has been a nearly a homogeneity of white male uh, visibility. Yep. And the problems that you come up with, and we talked about this a little bit last time about the suburbanization of hardcore. And here is uh, white men talking about the things that make their life hard, which right. is relatable to a very broad audience, uh, is fairly non-controversial. Um, but it is most of the time a mark of some privilege, right? Right. Um, versus a person of color a trans person a a woman talking uh, a gay person talking about their systemic perpetual unavoidable problems as soon as they walk outside of the venue that becomes provocative that becomes speaking truth to power more so than you know uh I don't like police officers and I um, hate taxation and I don't like my job, um, which is, you know, a lot of that is relatable to most of the audience, but what are you really being provocative about? These are like Larry, the cable guy jokes.
2: Yeah, totally. I, I think like, I'm guilty of like, kind of like, almost making these things sound like the same thing. And I'm I'm just going to kind of correct that right now. Like, obviously, like, we're talking about two different things, like, because being provocative for the sake of, you know, speaking your mind, like being genuine about it, you know, of course, there still could be somebody that calls you out and makes you think and question what you believe, right. But there is a difference between genuinely, like, believing something and like thinking like, okay, how can I upset this person for my own amusement?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So, you know, like I genuinely believe that like bands like the Cro-Mags and Agnostic Front, like that were really butting heads with like the more, you know, liberal side of, or, you know, leftist side of the West coast. Right. Like I definitely believe that there was like a genuine clash of ideals there Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, hey, you're just trying to piss people off and that's fucked up. It's more like the things that you believe are fucked up and I'm calling you out for it because that doesn't belong here. Mm. Um, But, you know, you mentioned something just now um, that kind of reminded me of like a song that I wrote in Weekend Nachos called Some Cops Are Bastards, which was probably our most controversial song, Um, which it's interesting that it was like, only slightly controversial when we wrote it because mm-hmm. it would have literally gotten us canceled today um, in 2022. And yeah. Yeah. um, I think that's interesting and just like a testament to like what people can get away with in different eras of, mm-hmm. of, of politics. Right. But I just want to say that, you know, that, that song was written for two different purposes. There was definitely like a trolling element to it because I knew who I could get riled up writing it, okay? But this, and this is the thing that you said that reminded me of this, is there was also an element of, I see a lot of, you know, white punks using all cops are bastards as a, like almost like a a fantasy slogan. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, you know, yes, I, I, me in 2022 absolutely agrees all cops are bastards. There's no... No denying that on my end. Um, but even to this day, I would still say that it's problematic for, you know, a person that has not experienced that reality to That's to use that to their own advantage, whether it be to sell more records or to, you know, basically get a nice fat sing along at a show, right? <laughs> um, it is problematic for a person of privilege to use a slogan like that to their benefit while not really having an understanding of what it stands for and why it's, you know, means so much, something's way different to a person of color. Does that make sense?
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that that, I mean, firstly, I feel like if you had a song called ACAB, it would have blended right in, right? Right. It would be totally non-provocative for the exactly what Dylan's talking about. Um, Because perhaps the, the, inverse or the converse of the guy who's saying provocative things just to be provocative is the person who's saying the ideological con- constant that's relevant at that time for the sake of kind of endearing themselves to the audience and i guess if if i were a certain constituency i'd be calling that virtue signaling so that's probably what you're talking about if I'm yeah wrong dylan right yes Mm -hmm. yeah so that's that makes a lot of sense
2: and i think that like another thing is that there was a a part of me that genuinely believed that i was saying something like provocative in the right way like oh everybody thinks that all cops are terrible but truthfully not all cops are terrible some of them are
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and that is where that is the part of the song that i would absolutely go to my grave decrying Mm -hmm. um, because I wrote that from a position of privilege and it's, it's okay with me that I wrote it. Okay. Because it's, it reminds me of a time in my life when I didn't understand just how damaging, like flaunting that privilege can be. Mm. Um, and I didn't even realize I was doing it. I thought I was saying something that was smart and that was like, Hey, like, you know, people say all cops are bastards, but like, you're just like not open enough to realizing that not all of them are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that a white person who has never had to fear for their lives at the hands of law enforcement could absolutely say, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. believe that they're fucking right about it. And that was me. And like, that's the biggest problem that I have with that song. And, you know, that's like, that's the part of me that really went wrong with it. And, and, that wasn't the only example, you know, that we can Nachos had where I was coming from a place of like seeing the world through my eyes and not through, through anybody else's. And I do think that that's problematic um, to punk, like seeing the world only through your own eyes and like refusing to see it through anybody else's. I think that's a major problem. And I think that I would draw a parallel to what like, you know, maximum rock and roll was essentially calling out in the eighties was just that, you know, a viewpoint that absolutely marginalizes people and doesn't see the world through anybody else's eyes, except for, you know, so so someone that whose color of their skin is white. And I think, you know, ironically enough, like, you know, people in agnostic front are, are not white, <laughs> yeah. but you know, there, there's definitely some, some very, <laughs> some politics that were absolutely created by white people in this country that like, You know, you don't need to be white to to adhere to those politics, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's like a whole other discussion, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know if we have enough time to talk about the 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 the, the red scare and then like that's impact on Cuban Americans to to this day. Like, again, like the members of agnostic front, uh, it should be no secret to anyone in this country that that Cubans exclusively vote Republican every time, every election.
2: I I have uh, some some friends that I can say that you know that that is true about as well. So um yeah we, we definitely probably shouldn't go into that right now. But you know yeah, what I'm saying, you know, yeah. I just want to make it clear like the point I'm trying to make, you know, um like there's things that are being challenged right now and like there's almost like a, a some ground rule for this scene that I'm okay with. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it one more time. Like I'm okay with, like, this, like, almost status quo that we're falling into again. Um, and I do believe that that will get stale and be challenged again. But I'm I'm currently, like, I'm just happy. I'm happy that, like, this kind of revolution is sort of happening um, right now. I think it's important.
0: Definitely. I think that that's, uh, you definitely bring up something that I think... Sometimes I even for, forget to remind myself is like that, uh, the the cycle, the stages, like you mentioned, it will eventually get challenged again, and it will uh, almost cleanse itself of the stuff where it where it went wrong. Just like um, pretty, I mean, pretty much every every stage of hardcore is done. Ironically enough, ex- minus everyone from from the '80s who is still uh around and often tours,
3: um, right
0: in major major stadiums and across Europe uh, and the U.S. Well, I guess it's something that, Evan, you mentioned this a while ago. i started sorry to bring it back up. We talk about hardcore speaks truth to power, which I think that the genre has done an exceptional job of since its inception. The thing that it never, ever seems to speak truth to power to is often uh, in, insular, the internal politics of the genre, who gets what, mm-hmm. when, where, and, and how. Um, you know, no, we don't need to name any names. We all know somebody in a band who who gets what they get because of uh, really uh, sometimes everything from who they know to their Instagram following to their Spotify metrics, um, and it, it it turns and it turns everything into uh, it, it, it. I think there's a lot of people in a lot of bands who just feel completely crushed by the the metrics system that we're now officially um, operating on. We have no idea how to speak. Uh, t- truth to that power what the hell am i supposed to do about spotify what the hell am i supposed to do about uh my local scenes politics um things like that
2: yeah i i think that like when it comes to like punk and hardcore like i've just i've always tried to remind myself that like it needs to continue to be a community you yeah. know and like yeah. when it comes to power like yeah there's always going to be a band that's bigger you know there's always going to be a band that sells more merch there's always going to be a band that maybe comes across much smarter politically, you know? Um I think this needs to still be a place where, you know, people can learn and grow together and be themselves. If it's the only place in the world, they can be themselves. Like that just, that just needs to continue. I, I, I've always been, I've always pushed back on the idea that like anybody should like try to get big or like basic basically put the stock in these like anything that's superficial when it comes to punk yeah it's like you know bands that get egos over time it's like you really are fucking missing the mark here you know like it's it's maybe time to like get out of get out of this scene and do something else if that's like what your motivations have become you know once you start
1: hanging out in the green room instead of selling Mm -hmm. your own merch
2: (laughs) yeah exactly or if like you're just like so obsessed with like yourself that the only reason you're there is to like play your music and get, get on with it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, I I don't know. I've never been in a band that reached just a level where that was even in question. You know, <laughs> um, I, I would say like weekend nachos never, never made it, you know, like we were always just like a, a band that, you know, might've gotten like somewhat well-known, but like, you know, like we never, we never, like, I I wouldn't have say that we were big, you know, I wouldn't say that we were like a big band at any point. So it's like, I just, I just always think it's everybody owes it to, to themselves to like keep their ear to the ground and like be involved in what's happening, you know, otherwise like what the fuck is the point, you know? Yeah.
1: I also don't think it's a zero sum game with like success. Um, uh, I feel like with hardcore and punk, it seems like this based on my perceptions, feels like this is larger than it has ever been in my lifetime in terms of more people listening to it, more people showing up to shows, merch selling at higher volumes. Um, and I'm at a state I was probably at a younger age, more of a gatekeeper and thinking, seeing people like, well, I was probably a. Th- can you name three songs person Um, and and enough of an elitist where I would probably begrudge a band the success that brought them to the ears of people I thought weren't cool enough to listen to them despite the fact that I've I've never been cool Um, uh, I think it's much more of a all ships rise with the high tide thing and if we go back to Gulch as an example I think Gulch is a fantastic band. If I didn't think they were, their success had still brought a lot of success to their region. Uh, a lot of uh, listeners to California um, and other bands who wouldn't have had the listenership they do had it not been for a band like Gulch drawing more of the world's attention to that area. Yeah. So, Evan, yeah. Can,
0: I, can, I, can I add a brief caveat to the uh, rising... Uh, tide raises all ships of course yeah uh, rising tide raises all ships in that geographic uh region with that being said like because i've seen that the reason why i'm saying this is i have seen that phrase blindly just vomited out in various uh discussion groups uh whether it's on facebook comment threads on instagram list goes on about the the whole turnstile thing and just like turn i was literally
2: just about to bring them up
0: (laughs) yeah dude dylan Dylan, that's I, been our one rule okay well i'm sorry i but again i i am talking about the the uh, the use of the phrase okay like can i just ask my, my, my point is uh, uh, a a hardcore uh, hardcore band with with strong pop elements is not making your fucking power violence band bigger <laughs> that's my point
2: i feel like
1: it's a gateway
2: though do you guys have a no turnstile rule or something? Yeah. Like you can bring them up on this podcast or something? Good subtext.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was like a foundational rule.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, can I talk about turnstile? Yeah, I can it. talk yeah. about whatever you want. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm like breaking the, the the flow of this podcast challenging. Speaking the about being
1: provocative, sport.
2: yeah, right. seriously I, I brought up, <laughs> up turnstile. <laughs> um, well, I, I just want to say that Turnstile is a band that like immediately comes to mind because they are the biggest band that absolutely, I mean, I wouldn't say that Turnstile is like not trying to get big. They absolutely yeah. they absolutely yeah. are. But there's also like some incredible ways that Turnstile is mm-hmm. using their power to to. In a in a way that like is impressive, um, I will say I I don't view Turnstile as a band that like used hardcore as a stepping stone and then just like shit all over it and ignored it. You know, no, it's like, no, no. There, there's like a youthful energy to Turnstile that is essentially just like making the world a more positive place. Um, I I'm not, maybe that's like a little bit cheesy to say. I, to be honest, I'm I'm not even that into turnstile um i don't really like them that much but they don't bother me i i think that like turnstile is a very very positive influence on society like for like you know as much as like they can be right now that's that's what i think
0: no those are all those are all good things i think that's that's kind of why we like we always joked about like okay we're not gonna fucking talk about we're not gonna talk about turnstile on, on on this podcast. There's so many (laughs) other things to talk about because of everything you just said, John, truly. It's like, it's
2: so interesting though. It's so interesting to think about like what is happening because like, you know, Gulch is obviously not turnstile, but you know, we're we're talking about how like hardcore is like, like, you know, Gulch is still a band that like is involved in like their scene. Right. But they're selling like 8,000, 10,000 something records. I mean, like, that's fucking crazy you know like that like literally couldn't have happened unless you were like have heart you know yeah and you like yeah go go you go time. ahead john oh i was just gonna say turnstile is just like kind of an example of like holy shit what the fuck's happening yeah you know like this is like bigger than it's been maybe not i mean i guess i was kind of around for like the tail end of the 90s where like you know bands like earth crisis were like pretty big you know but I would say Turnstile is bigger than Earth Crisis was, you know?
1: Oh, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I also feel like, and I'm probably not saying anything original here because this part of the reason that we were, this was a no go zone for us is that it's, it's already, this ground has already been well trod on um, right. in like every comment section. But I feel like it is a, a gateway, right? So if they start listening to Turnstile, if they get into it enough, they're going to check out Angel Dust check out trapped under ice, check out justices, other stuff. That means leading him to leading people to start listening to regional justice center. Uh, right. and, and I mean, I, I don't think many of us unless we've got like a cool older brother or a cool, a friend with a cool older brother start in the deep end of hardcore, we usually or metal. Right. Um, my first metal album. And I was, I was metal before I was into punk. Um, but my first metal album that I owned was reload. And <laughs> nice. had I, had I, which is like a shameful thing to say, but you know, I was what 11 or something and I didn't have an ecosystem that was turning me on to these things. Um, and honestly, had I started with kill them all um, it, I, I probably wouldn't have listened to it many times, um, but we were introed at, at the kind of kiddie pool. And then if it turns on enough pleasure centers in our brain, we kind of find our way to the areas that we're willing to admit we listen to.
2: Right. I wanna say one one more thing about about this, um, just real quick while it's at, at the top of my head. Um, I think that if you're gonna, if a, if a hardcore band is going to get as big as like turnstile, right. Or, or maybe even to a lesser extent Gulch. Right. I think that the, the idea of, of people getting into like smaller hardcore bands because of them will still only happen if there is a community surrounding that band. Mm -hmm. And I think that one thing that like a band like Gulch or turnstile has done, which is like impressive, it, you know, compared to like bands that have just like gotten big somehow. And then just like, they weren't around six months later because they just fucked off, you know, but like the impressive thing is a a band like Turnstile being able to essentially create their own world with their band, you know, and that is what leads to people continuing to stay involved in hardcore and be influenced by a band like Turnstile. Whereas like, you know, obviously, you know, you can't say like it's cool that like you know some people like may have gotten into other bands through like a band like Metallica, but like that's not a common thing. And I do think that like a, a band like Turnstile creating a community within their their community, you know, is what is going to lead that to continue to trickle down and keep people involved in this and bring in new people. But in in to have an understanding of what this is. You know, and continue to have those values like just branch out more but in a positive way. So that's the last thing I want to say about that.
1: Third episode and we broke our only rule. Yeah, we kind of suck. You yeah. th- <laughs> and here we are talking about ethics.
0: It's yeah, you you triggered me with the All Tides comment. I, I If I have to fucking read that one more time, <laughs> I'm just like, are you like Jesus Christ? Break I'm up being,
2: on stage.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being provocative.
2: Dude, I hope this podcast just ends this way. <laughs> I hope you guys don't do another episode. I hope that's it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will be the gulch of podcasts with far fewer listeners, just
0: brightly burning candle. I don't know what you're talking about. We're going out on top, baby. Yeah. Best best hardcore podcast in the game right here.
2: I will say that if the, if the one rule was that turnstile shouldn't be brought up and that is what ended this podcast, you absolutely did go out on top. (laughs) That's pretty sweet. And I do apologize for me like continuing to perpetuate the turnstile topic. I just, like we've been talking about like certain things that kind of are relevant to this like throughout the entire thing the entire episode and I, I kind of felt like there was an opportunity to bring some of it up again.
0: No, no it, was, it was uh it, it was a good addition and it, yeah it I think it brings it brings everything full circle for for better or for worse it was unavoidable me and Evan were gonna have to talk about. Turnstile briefly. At some I mean,
1: point. I'm sure that that all listeners picked up on the elephant in the room every episode so far. It's like they've got they can't be avoiding Turnstile like this.
2: Can you guys have the next episode just be all about Turnstile?
1: It's going to be the title of the next episode,
2: and they won't yeah. come up once. That'd be sweet. I'll come on again and and. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. Is this an okay for time for us to jump onto to uh, underrated gems?
0: Let's that get it. Okay to you, Dylan? I, I I'm always down for an underrated gem. Cool. Um do you want to start? You want me to start? Uh, I uh uh yeah, you know what? The one that's on my mind fresh today, uh, I recently saw somebody ask their top five uh, DFJ bands. This one wasn't on it. Soul swallower. You're not lo- oh yeah.
2: my god, dude! Fuck yeah! Uh,
0: so yeah, that's 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 my uh, that's uh my my episode's uh, underrated gem. If you know anything about DFJ, if you even if you like Mind Eraser or the Rival Mob, you want to hear Mind Eraser and Rival Mob in a blender? Go listen to Soul Swallower.
2: Dude, Soul Swallower is fucking awesome. It's uh, oh man, I they're they're one of my favorite. I, I don't Soul Swallower is pure evil. Yes like that band sounds like some weird fucking drawing that some demented artist did.
0: Yeah, dude, Devoured is like just something that I don't ever get tired of hearing. Like the, yeah. that whole record.
2: The 7-inch is fucking awesome too. Like it that I feel like the 7-inch aged just as well as as the LP did.
0: Absolutely.
1: A s- strange thing about how I got into Soul Swallower is uh do you all know the merch website shirt killer yes yeah so they had a um they were changing platforms or something and had to get rid of a ton of excess merch um (laughs) and they had like these ten dollar bags of six shirts or something like that twenty dollars for six shirts and i'm a uh, small medium and they had plenty of small bags left and I got a small bag and there was a soul swallower shirt in there and that's how I I was like I hadn't heard of them before even even being a DFJ fan um and yeah that kind of cracked that that one open for me um so yeah excellent choice um I want to do pans ram um oh pans is this
2: holy shit i know who they are do you want to talk
1: about them I've, i don't know i don't know if i've ever met anybody else who knows them
2: yeah pans was i believe john felt i feel better. he's a friend of mine i can't remember his fucking last name um feltman felty fahey fahey john fahey from Murket. i think it's all like south florida dudes right like right. From, from like uh fort myers right
1: Uh, I just know Florida.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, Panzeram is cool. I I don't want to like, I'm, I'm literally going to let you take over. Like I feel like (laughs) Kanye West right now. Um, But like, I just want (laughs) to say that they're like John Fahey's previous band Merkit was like a very, very excellent band in my opinion. And I formed a pretty awesome friendship with those guys um, back in like the early Nachos days. But I actually don't know as much about, pansram beyond that um so take it away
1: <laughs> well pansram was kind of like soul Swallow, a band i accidentally found out about um and that was because i was really into um the shoppers which was uh meredith graves from perfect pussies previous band and they have a split together and i got the split because i was into the shoppers and pansram was the other side And I got way into them through that. Uh, It was just their side of the split. And then I kind of did a deep dive. And they were defunct by that point and sent me a ton of stuff when I bought a shirt. They were like, we didn't even know anybody was listening to us anymore. Here's tapes and of our new stuff and shirt and posters and stuff. I also it's just really excellent kind of noise rock hardcore in exactly the dosage that I like. And I also love that they have a cassette called Judgment Night Soundtrack.
2: (laughs) That's what the the tape is called?
1: Yeah, it's just the five-song tape called Judgment Night Soundtrack, which, having been a person who was way into the Judgment Night soundtrack, I was like, (laughs) I just want to hang out with these guys. I know that we
2: get along. Pansram, members of Onyx and Biohazard. (laughs) That's that's cool. I, I'm glad you brought them up. I really, really, really love those dudes. Um, did you ever hear Mercit?
1: No, I haven't looked in that because um I mean Pans are, their discogs isn't okay. His goes by Joe. Yeah, Joan Joe and Faye yeah. Joe Latchett. Yeah. Joe
3: Latchett, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. He, um yeah, okay. Here's I knew about plural being but i didn't know about murkit. That Check is them out. they just
2: like they did like a few splits i think they did an lp. Um they were really cool like like just like a heavy kind of like you know political south florida hardcore band. Really really good.
1: Nice. And not to yeah. be confused with singer-songwriter acoustic guitarist John Fahey.
2: <laughs> is that is that actually a thing?
1: He's really good. If you're into singer-songwriter like um, if you maybe maybe it's John Fady from
2: Pantram, Maybe <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, I I would be so happy if that were the case. Um, cool. John, do you happen to have a deep cut or an underrated gem you'd like to share?
2: I do, um, but I think I kind of like missed the point because I was, I just was thinking of any underrated gem. Like I, it's not it's not a hardcore record. No, please. Um, this it's this doesn't. Up. Yeah, this doesn't help anything in terms of the hardcore community whatsoever. But <laughs> I was going to say, Life Won't Wait by Rancid.
0: Oh, dude. Um,
2: it is a constant, like I constantly don't feel like that record gets the the praise that it deserves. And I really do think it's one of the most fascinating albums ever. It's like, have, have either of you heard it?
0: I, I, I listen to it uh, when I cook dinner uh, often. oh
2: nice yeah i mean it's not like it's not like a like a hidden gem and it's not super obscure or anything but i do feel like it's like it's like despicably underrated like i think that like it's like the lost rancid record kind of like i don't think people really talk about it much
0: no no i i I agree for that uh for for that block of time you know they were touring and recording like on this like just this tight-knit schedule i think life won't wait has more songs on it than almost any band of any genre uh, (laughs) has total now. Um, Yeah,
2: it's got 22 tracks on it. Well, you know, to be honest, like, and and how come the wolves had 19 tracks? I think let's go actually has 23 songs on it. I could be wrong.
0: I think you're right, dude. Hold on. Let me double check.
2: (laughs) For some reason, like, why the fuck would you put, why would you release a punk record that had 23 songs on it? (laughs) Pre internet really weird thing to do.
0: Pre internet age, I think pre internet age record industry type of mindset is something that again we'll have to do another episode. Because that's like a nine hour topic. Uh, but I mean that's that's the, what I would default it to. It, it has to be. Yeah. I say it's like the
1: old novelist mentality. You get paid by the word.
2: Yeah, yeah. They like they felt like oh, like longer is better. Like there's a yep. lot of not a lot of material here, guys. You know. <laughs> Um, but I do think that that record is phenomenal. I think that Tim Armstrong is absolutely like a genius. I, I mean, it's weird when you consider somebody that's like famous and has written songs for like pink, you know, like yeah. it's hard to consider Tim Armstrong underrated because it's obviously not, right? Right. But I do think that like maybe in our circles, I don't think that Tim Armstrong is like considered like the genius that he is. You know? No, I, well, like any I band
1: who has who's broken the top forty of any punk chart kind of people look down their nose at. Yep.
2: Right. I I just life won't wait is so fucking good. It's like it's like this weird like mix of like all these like Caribbean styles and ska and punk and there's just like the record kind of doesn't make sense but it does. Um,
0: yeah it it makes sense only because it's only because rancid did it like if any other band did it we would all be so upset
2: yeah i'd be like whoa this is the new uh rain supreme record this sucks (laughs) (laughs) um you know but yeah it's like uh it's just yeah yeah that's my underrated gem i love it i i listen to it all the time
0: Uh, also you were you, you were one you were correct 23 songs on let's go
2: that's crazy dude insanity so many songs I don't think I've ever listened to any song past like the 12th track on that <laughs> <laughs> just cause I, I'm just like I'm done I'm No, I'm not listening to 23 songs on any record <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think that the the 21st track on uh, Life Won't Wait is my favorite song ironically so but yeah
1: excellent well, I mean, John, I feel like we just kind of got started. Um, I I hope you'll consider coming back on. Um,
2: yeah, dude. Of course.
1: I, it, I mean, it's it truly. If if I could tell like a younger me that I was doing this with you, I'd be, <laughs> I mean, I'm majorly stoked now. But I would have been very skeptical. <laughs> so
2: that's awesome. Because like. On, yeah. That's awesome that someone would say that to me because like, I'm just like, I view myself as an absolute nobody. And that's not in a way that's like, like, Oh, I'm so down on myself, but it's just like, I don't have the mentality to feel important in something like this. You know, like, it's just uh it's, it's a, I appreciate your kind words. Absolutely.
1: It just goes back to the, what you were talking about, the hardcore mentality of, of uh, that, that, too many people lose i think yep. of of remembering what it means to be a fan yeah and remembering what it means to be a kid getting into punk um yeah and so your humility is amazing especially you're just going to have to accept the compliment that you're you've been an inspiration to a whole lot of people now probably more than ever i feel like we can i know you said we can nachos wasn't that big but i mean I think it's possibly bigger now than ever.
2: That's uh, that's something that I've like, I've wondered, you know, like how how does the band like stand the test of time? Like, has has interest in it like waned or has it grown? Like, um, I'm working on a book about the band that I uh, haven't really told many people about, but oh my gosh, I'm working on it, I don't think it'll ever be finished. <laughs> it's taking forever, but it's I've gotten like some I've gotten up to like the punish and destroy era now. And it's like, it's pretty in depth. I think that anybody that liked the band would love this book. It's like, it's, it's been a lot of fun to write. So I don't know. I I appreciate that. I definitely take it as a compliment. I think that if there's ever evidence of, of anybody being like quote unquote, like influential or important in like a scene like this, I think that that person just needs to take it upon themselves to, to use that, to inspire others. You know, I think that like, if I met somebody that was like a, a weekend nachos fan, like it wouldn't just be about like teaching them that I'm just a person like anybody else, you know, I'm a person just like you. Um, <laughs> but like, it would be more about like making that person, like believe that they can do anything that they look up to me about, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, there's no reason they can't. And I want people to like, always realize their full potential and just like get out there and do shit you know
1: yeah well i i would i would count you as an inspiration um i'm not a kid in high school anymore but it it you uh continue to do that and more more now after this show than ever
2: right on thank you so much i appreciate that
1: yeah so let's call this part one and, and we'll have to have you back on uh one of these days
2: Dude, I will come back whenever. I love doing shit like this. It's like super fun. I, I wasn't going to do anything else tonight anyways. My daughter's in bed, so my my work is done for the day. Yeah, is, she, Hell is, yeah.
1: is, she, is she feeling any better?
2: Uh, yeah. Um, she's been fighting something. You know, her, She's had a fever all day, but it, it's like, it hasn't gotten as high as it was last night. So it's, it's it's been maintained. We've been giving her medicine, so she'll be all right. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you uh, throwing that in there too. It's very yeah, sweet. Of course. So, right.
0: Anything Dylan? No, uh, John, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Uh, like Evan, uh, I was like, if somebody told me, I was like, Hey, you're going to do a podcast and, uh, John caution is going to come on. And I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. I would never do that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, thank you. Just thanks for, thanks for talking with us. Thank you for elaborating on some of the, uh, arguably tougher things me and Evan kind of asked you and, uh, yeah i uh looking forward to the the book um and uh just thank you for all the years of good music
2: yeah you're very welcome uh w- w- i'm looking forward to coming back so continue to do this podcast and i'll, I'll definitely be uh following it
0: hell yeah anytime re- regular re- regular commentator on Politico, <laughs> john caution Or yeah. our uh our ed mcmahon hell yeah everybody go listen
1: to stomach go listen to hard stance
2: Yes. Definitely check out Stomach. I'm working on some new shit.
1: Excellent.
0: All right. Till next time everyone. This is Politicore. See you later.